Happy Employee Ownership Month from all of us at the EO ESOP Podcast and EO Podcast Network. To celebrate, we're bringing back this episode that first aired in 2020, all about employee ownership in Colorado and the founding of the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center, or RMEOC. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the EO Podcast, where we amplify and celebrate all forms of employee ownership. Hello, my friends. Thank you for listening. My name is Brett Kiesling, and as it says on my business cards, I'm a passionate advocate for employee ownership. Happy October. It's Employee Ownership Month. We've been celebrating it all month long on this podcast and our ESOP minicast. And if you're involved in employee ownership, Happy EOM to you. Today we're turning our spotlight onto the state of Colorado. We're going to talk about the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center, RMEOC, and I'm going to be joined by very special guests Dick Peterson and Bill Curtin, co-founders of the RMEOC. Before I bring you the interview with Dick and Bill, I'm going to spend a couple of minutes with Jennifer Briggs. Chances are if you're involved at all in employee ownership, you know Jen. She is a very talented, very passionate, tireless advocate for employee ownership. Jen will be my guest for the entire episode next week on the podcast, so I'm going to save for the full-on introduction until then. But Jen's here to talk about Colorado today from her positions as a board member of Governor Jared Polis's Commission on Employee Ownership, and she's also a board member of the Rocky Mountain EOC. So we'll start our Spotlight on Colorado with Jen Briggs. Happy Employee Ownership Month. I love October. Happy EO. Oh, yes. To you, too. To you, too. Let's make it happen. So we are, uh, it's it's my favorite time of the year, and I would actually play the most wonderful time of the year song, except I don't want to pay royalties. So, uh, but it's so cool to see everything that's uh, employee-owned going. And Jen, you are based in Colorado. You are on the board of the Colorado Commission of Employee Ownership. You're on the board, I believe, of RMEOC. Could we start with just a a couple of minutes of uh, the state of employee ownership in Colorado as you see it? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's exciting here. So we were fortunate to have Governor Polis uh, start a commission on employee ownership. Um, it's through the Office of Economic Development and International Trade. So it's really cool. And one of the reasons I think uh, Governor Polis, he himself started multiple businesses. And he didn't have, like we've, we kind of talk a lot about ESOPs. He didn't have an ESOP company, but he had broadly shared cap tables. So when those companies were sold, it wasn't just a single founder or a single, you know, instigator, whatever title you want to put on them that got wealthy in the sale. He created those ripples through these um, broadly shared, um, this idea of broadly shared participative capitalism. And so he saw the value in that firsthand and he wanted to bring that more into it. So that's the genesis of it, essentially. Excellent. Can you share some of the things uh, I understand? And you were kind enough to introduce me to uh, Dick Peterson and Bill Curtin, who are the co-founders of the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center. And they've mentioned, uh, Governor Paulus, has he set a, uh, a goal of 20 transactions, do I understand? Yes. Yeah, so by the end of the state year, which is actually mid-year 2021, we want to have 20 transactions done. So, and that could be any employee ownership, whether it's a broadly shared cap table, ESOP, employee-owned cooperative, employee-owned trust, 20 of them done by mid-year next year. 
that is very cool. And I can't think of any uh, political leader or effect, elected official. I've never heard of setting a uh, goal like that. Yeah, no. And I think, you know, the, the point is economic development here. Um, you know, that we believe that this idea will create better economic conditions for the state as a whole. And so, you know, you'll see leaders going out and trying to attract like tech industries or clean industries or, you know, these kind of economic development incentives. This is really the first one I know that's specific to this particular idea. It's very exciting. And Governor Paulus has done a number of things just beyond that to support. Uh, I mean, the commission is one, but um, Colorado's really moving with the state government uh, driving it in, in some respects with a lot of uh, very positive activities and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we have a great commission. Um, there's a lot of work, especially because it's Employee Ownership Month. One of the things they're talking about doing now is starting this Office of Employee Ownership, would be, which I think would be the first one in the United States, too. And um, the state's really taking the lead on promoting Employee Ownership Month, gathering stories, um, getting some marketing behind it. But, you know, the big deal is, I think, the connection with the Small Business Administration and making sure that if any company is in the, you know, the midst of a transition or something like that, want to sell the company, contact the SBA, this is going to be on the menu here in Colorado. And, um, you know, in a lot of ways, we just want this idea to be on the menu. We don't want some, you know, sometimes technical advisors kind of advise people away from employee ownership or ESOP. They'll say, oh, you know, the DOL, they're, they're too difficult to deal with. And before we even get a chance to talk about it. So um, it's, it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited to see what happens in the next year. That is great. And now let's talk about RMEOC, uh, if we can, for a moment. And as you well know, because we saw each other a couple of times while I was out in Colorado, I spent much of the last year until, frankly, the pandemic made me want to stay in Pennsylvania. But I spent much of the last year in uh, Colorado, joined the RMEOC, uh, met with your executive director uh, last October, as a matter of fact. But in September, back in Pennsylvania, I renewed my membership because you guys are doing great stuff. And I just want to, even though I'm not physically there, support you guys. So can you talk a little bit about uh, what RM, RMEOC is doing right now? Well, first, thank you for your support. So the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center is a nonprofit. Um, it's been around for a while. Um, and, you know, several a couple of years ago, I don't know, I'm losing track of time, Brett. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it helped get some grants on the docket with the state of Colorado. So, you know, if a company was looking to go to an employee-owned cooperative, it could help offset some of the costs of going to a cooperative. You know, Amy does a lot of technical assistance. So somebody comes in, the way it kind of works now is something can come through the state, through the SBA, then go to the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center, and they'll do triage and feasibility and help figure out if this company is really a candidate for employee ownership. So basic technical assistance, um, education, uh, you know, awareness, and just trying to do it all as a small nonprofit. So, you know, having support is incredible, because um, we really do it all on our own. That was Jennifer Briggs sharing her insights to the state of employee ownership in Colorado. And again, I hope you'll check out next week's episode in order to hear the full podcast conversation with Jen Briggs. 
Without further ado, I am pleased to bring you my conversation with the two co-founders of RMEOC, Dick Peterson and Bill Curtin. Perhaps, Bill, we can start with you. Do you want to tell us a little bit, and then Dick, join in wherever you'd like. Can you tell us what brought you to the point of forming the RMEOC, or bring us back to where this came together? Uh, well, I think, uh, actually, Dick was responsible for presenting the idea of employee ownership, and he'll say more about that later. My concern, this started uh, kind of in 2010, after the uh, economic uh, collapse of 2008 and nine, And I think uh, we were looking for some kind of uh, way to, to do something positive rather than just complaining about it. And uh, I've always been, I've for many years, been involved or interested in economics. Actually, I'm a retired Methodist minister, but there's a close relationship between theology and especially in the Jewish and Christian traditions, a close relationship between uh, these religious traditions and economics, if one reads the, the ancient text carefully. So I've been an advocate of social justice issues uh, for many, many years, and um, it seemed like the time was right to to try to create something that would respond to the fact that millions of people had lost their homes and their employment at at that era uh, because of the... um, the uh, activities of the big banks and Wall Street. And so it's, it made sense to me that we need to figure out something to move the economy from Wall Street back to Main Street. And uh, during my work in various congregations, I've belonged to local chambers of commerce. Uh, I was on the board of directors of a local business uh, uh, group for about four years, and I'm familiar with small business and the people who run them. And so I'm, I'm very committed to finding ways uh, to provide th- that people can be engaged in their own, uh, uh, to, to create their own economies, to be, uh, rather than being subjected to the, uh, the eco- what I call the economic uh, hierarchy. What I find, Bill, very interesting about that and your path Many of us get into employee ownership in the business community, either working for an employee-owned company or, uh, you know, professionally advising them or that sort of thing. And we see all of the social justice issues that you've alluded to, and that maybe changes our prism of employee ownership. In your case, you've spent your life devoted to the social justice issues and came to realize that employee ownership fit in with what you were doing all along. I think that's uh, absolutely wonderful. Dick, your background leading up to the formation, and then uh, as you put it together, certainly talk about that, but can you just tell us a little bit about your introduction to employee ownership? What was your path? Well, mine uh, predates Bill's by quite a few years. Um, I, too, am an ordained Methodist minister, but I quit serving in the church after four years, and my longest part of my career was in what sounds like a pretty unexciting career of real estate, selling, managing offices, those kind of things. Um, In about the late 70s, 
I was the owner of several Remax offices when they were very, very new. And I found I hated to be the owner. Just that was an awkward position. All the agents, and I had quite a few agents, and about five offices at that time, but they all thought I, as the owner, was rich. Just the whole looking at it that way. So I began to looking around that, um, and, and I heard a little bit from somewhere, I'm not quite sure where, about employee ownership, that employees could own it. And um, so as I began to explore that further, actually there was in Fort Collins, Colorado, there was a remarkable real estate company called The Group that is 100% employee-owned, agent-owned, including the secretaries and all. Everybody owns it, and uh, it still is there now after 50 years. I had also heard about Mondragon, and uh, that's, of course, in Spain, and that's a very, very large worker co-op of about 85 or 95,000 employee owners, and that's a fairly complicated deal, but it's a very impressive world-known, worldwide-known employee ownership. And I learned more about that and a few people that had written on that. And so then I decided just to go ahead and sell my offices to the agents or employees, if you want to call them that. What year was this, Dick? About 1980. Wow, you were certainly an early adopter. They'd only been around six or seven years at that point. Wow, very impressive. I was one of the early ones in Remax. I was in Remax before it was a franchise. Anyway, long and short, from that point on, to speed up my part of the story, uh, the couple of those offices sold, they made money, they're okay. One of the offices is still in existence, and that's Remax of Cherry Creek. The head of Remax decided they didn't want any more employee ownership offices, so they banned the selling them to a broad base. These are broad-based employee ownership, not you know, four or five agents. This is right. almost all the agents in equal ownership, which is the Remax of Cherry Creek, which is in existence still, and a very strong and very powerful force here in, uh, in Denver. Now, jump forward, I actually did this. I went to work for another company, uh, Perry and Butler, or Keller Williams Realty, and that was, again, a new company. And I actually converted one of those companies to agent-owned company. And I'm not particularly going to go through that story. It was basically very successful. Um, then I retired in 19, when I was uh, close to 70, 67, or something like that. And um, after doing what I promised with my wife, and that is travel, for a few times, well, you know, quite often your wives have said, you've got to travel, and I said, wait till I retire. So we did the traveling. But in that process, I kind of snuck a trip to the Mondragon in, in Mondragon, Spain. So I went to Mondragon to visit Mondragon, which is a, really a worldwide model of employee ownership. And uh, just wow. became terribly impressed with what I saw. Uh, Mondragon is a small city. Called Mondragon, and the whole uh, enterprise is uh, uh, called Mondragon. So from there on, I when I came back from Europe, you know, this was actually right when the Great Recession was happening, um, whatever it was. But anyway, I came back to America, and I just kind of then thought I ought to just go on the web and see if there's anything going on in America. I'd have done all of this, never really seeing what else was going on. It found out there's a lot going on. And so my first step was that I found there's a Ohio Employee Ownership Center, which is having their conference about a month or two later in Akron, Ohio. So 
um, pretty cheap, pretty cheap to fly back there. So I went back there. They kind of treated me like a guest of honor. I think I was the only person west of the Mississippi <laughs> at that great. conference. And uh, But I realized that was our model. It was the Rocky, it was the Ohio Employee Ownership Center. At that time, there were only two or three in the nation, a Vermont one, uh, Ohio, uh, the New York State, a few of the other ones had kind of come and gone. So I came back and I was talking with friends of uh, Bill and Larry, and there was a Bill who said at a meeting at a state's entity's house, when all they were complaining was about Tabor, he said, Dick, You've been talking about this employee ownership. Let's start a movement. So it was really Bill who said, let's do a movement. And from that point on, he and Bill and I and Larry just sat down and started creating the employee owner, the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center. So that was how it really began. Bill was the one who said, let's start it. Then we had a friend, an attorney, who helped us put it together legally. We kind of went for a while, then just ourselves. Bill, what made you realize that uh, it was time for a movement? In other words, Dick and you had the opportunity to be talking about this, but Dick credits you for giving him the idea of spreading this around. What what was driving you? What was it you saw? Well, it, we were at this political meeting, <laughs> and the party doesn't matter, but uh, the uh, office holder was complaining that if the other uh, party won, how terrible it was going to be. And, uh, you know, this kind of thing goes on all the time, and there's, there was no vision, no uh, saying, okay, we, we need to do this to, 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 uh, to change, the, change the situation that's just complaining. And um, so, you know, where there's no vision, there's a saying, where there's no vision, the people perish. And uh, it seemed to me that uh, it's time to, to have a vision about a different kind of economy, a different way that would actually involve working people, enable working people to share the wealth uh, rather than just the stockholders, that people who are actually doing the work should reap some of the more of the benefits in terms of, of building wealth for themselves and their families I grew up on a farm in Oklahoma, and uh, worker or um, producer co-ops were central to our economic life. So that's part of my story. I knew about cooperatives. My family, uh, my grandparents were members of co-ops, and these were really sustained us uh, through the, uh, the hard times on the farm. So it seemed like the, that uh, it was time for a positive vision. So, and when Dick uh, shared this idea about uh, employee ownership, it's time. This sounds, uh, you know, I just, it, I got it immediately uh, because it made sense to me partly because of my farm experience and partly because it, it's time for to for people, working people, to have the ability and the opportunity to create economic uh, opportunity for themselves. As you know, I've been talking about people in employee ownership who have their aha moment. And Bill, you have this experience that kind of led you to it. But was hearing Dick's plan, was that your aha moment of saying, hey, I've got to uh, spread employee ownership? Or did you have an employee ownership aha moment, you know, previously? 
No, I really had never thought about employee ownership, and Dick's, uh, that was practically out of his mouth. Uh, it took me about five minutes <laughs> uh, after he explained it a little bit to say, okay, let's do this. And it was an, it was an aha moment. And, uh, and I had no idea what we were going to do because I wasn't that educated on what employee ownership was, but it just, uh, it, it was like a light bulb went on in my head that this needs to be done. And, uh, of course, I've known Dick for more than 40 years, so we were over the years acquainted, but not uh, in regular conversation. We'd never talked about this. So I trusted his idea, uh, knowing him as I do and his family. And so it just it seemed like right. I don't know. It was just one of those things that hap- comes out of the wherever, and it was time. It's time to move this forward. So, Dick, let me ask, was Mondragon your aha moment, or did you have an aha moment that led you to, to Mondragon? You know, I did not have a Mondragon moment or, well, because it seems like something – well, let me just say this briefly on here. Bill uh, has heard this once or twice, and I don't want to make too much out of it, but way back when I was growing up, uh, I'm in my early – or my, well, my mid-80s, to be the truth. So when I was growing up, it was back after World War II when there were these massive labor strikes. And um, – and in that one, I remember thinking, and my dad was kind of in politics himself, and he was a Republican, but he said there has to be a better way than just these massive strikes. But we have to have labor, because labor unions, until we figure out something else. So he was actually struggling himself with this whole thing of these massive labor unions after World War II, because after World War II, there had been price control, wage controls, and the employer, big employees, the employers didn't want to give up those wage controls or wartime right. wage controls. Uh, massive railroad strikes and steel strikes and on and on, these great big massive strikes. And so I had kept in my mind there has to be a better way. And so when I found myself in that very position of being an owner, well, then I was on the owner side, not the other side. And I realized everybody was looking at me like I had a lot of money. And I, we were coming up to the 80s when there was a depression looming. I had, I have to admit that. Um, and I thought there just is a better way. And that's when I began to discover Mondragon, begin to discover the group in Fort Collins, and then just worked with an attorney to do something. He, the attorney didn't know what he was doing. He was just doing the best he could that he knew. This is before I even knew there were co-op laws in place in Colorado. Right. I guess we were at that time. So we just put the best we could together, uh, and I got a lot of agents to work with me. They were kind of excited about it, and the offices worked very well. Uh, we all really worked together. I had top offices in Keller Williams for nine or ten years straight in Colorado because we worked together. We all got, all got little dividends at the end of the year, uh, pretty good dividends, as a matter of fact, for percentage-wise. And so they worked very well, to be frank with you. 
that, Dick, let me just say, is one of the hallmarks of employee ownership. People get the dividends. You know, we save for employee ownership month. We share in the pie, you know, and, and, and the pie gets bigger. But it is that working together that I think is is fundamentally for me why employee ownership works. And then all of the different things addressing pay incomes by race or gender, making, you know, strengthening communities and all of that kind of thing are possible because it's a very successful business model. On the podcast, I've been uh, actually doing a multi-part series. We're taking a, a break for a few weeks, but it's, it's called Where is EO? And my premise of the series, and I've looked at it in political discussions, and that's not to be partisan politics, but for example, everybody who runs for office is talking about employee ownership, but they don't realize it. Some of the things we've talked about, they're talking about economic justice, they're talking about communities, and I'm screaming at the TV saying, hey, that's employee ownership, and nobody knows. We're absent from the discussion. Regardless of where people feel, we are, uh, you know, our country's at a great moment, regardless of where anybody's at, and employee ownership isn't a movement in that sense, in my opinion. And then finally, with 17 million employee owners in the United States, we don't have any influence as consumers. We don't, you know, business to business, employee-owned companies don't necessarily seek out other employee-owned companies. So in the context, Bill, that, that Dick came to you and mentioned employee ownership and you said, we need a movement, would you agree that we're not quite a movement? And if so, how do you think we can get there? The interesting thing about the process of, our, of RMEOC was that it was all these things happened. It was kind of like the time was right now, and the crisis we're in right now uh, seems like every crisis offers an opportunity, and this may emerge as a more viable option or a more, uh, I don't know, you'd say, may emerge front and front more front and center than it has. And actually, both the Republicans have had it in their in their platforms, uh, Ronald Reagan talked about it, and it's just not gotten out into the public. Most people don't even know what it is. And I don't know, to answer your question, I don't know. We're just, we just keep working it. I don't know how, how you get it out into the mainstream. But there's a lot of stuff going on worldwide in terms of cooperative development. Not just here, but uh, in Europe and especially in Africa and South America. Uh, an acquaintance of ours who is a cooperative expert is from South Korea. And uh, this was a year or so ago. She she went there and returned saying that the cooperatives were exploded in South, exploding in South Korea. I don't know the details about that, but it is happening. But it's all kind of under the radar. Well, one of the reasons why I do the podcast uh, is is my little part of trying to get things more on the radar. Dick, uh, do you have any thoughts in terms of EO as a movement or anything you'd like to, to build on what Bill just said? Bill is absolutely right. Uh, there are movements around the world. Uh, there's a few countries that actually have it in their budgets to support it. In Italy, one region of Italy has that. Uh, one of the things... Um, in Mondragon, that's kind of interesting, is Mondragon has its own university, the University of Mondragon. They have their own bank, the Bank of Mondragon. And when I was closer to studying this, 
That bank was the seventh largest bank in Spain. And that means they they control the money so that if new businesses want to start up on the co-op model, they will help fund it. So there's the money side there. Uh, there's the educational side to the University of Mondragon, which has several branches around the country. Um, and these are people that we are just really don't have. I know the Bill and I, uh, Bill is a little further along than I am, but I'm uh, looking at some kind of bank uh, 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 that would have, that would help fund these people that want to go employ ownership from day one or from early on or want some help in the money converting uh, into a, into employee ownership because they have a right to be bought if the company is selling. They have a right. right to be paid for the company that they're selling, and none of us disagree with that, but we have a right to gain a fair price. But um, we don't have these other tools of really university, uh, deep, one way or another, and we don't have the banking system in place that can help fund it. As it was moving, the state has a little bit of money this year for that. Our governor did help move that along, but um, we're still far behind on what they have in Spain, Probably having a part of Italy with the two, uh, bigger pieces of Mondragon, or big, uh, worker co-ops going in the world. But Bill is absolutely right. We know about it in South America, in Korea, this, uh, uh, Jason, I can't remember her name in a minute, but, um, she was saying that they had started 700 new employee ownership companies in South Korea, and that was like three or four years ago. So there's a lot of movement. We're just really, America's really behind on this. And I don't know why. It's not a political issue one way or another, meaning, I mean, the Republicans aren't against it. The Democrats have tended to be against it some of the time, to be frank with you. They've had more trouble with Democrats than, than the Republicans. Uh, and I don't, well, I do know kind of why, but I'll leave that off for now. Well, and Dick, one of the challenges, though, that we have politically, and and you guys would know better and correct me if I'm wrong, but for example, uh, a concern, and I'll put it with a small c, but you know, not not a a major concern. But Governor Polis has done amazing things to support employee ownership, and I know that there has been concern that the Republicans not end up looking at. At looking at employee ownership as either a policy initiative or a democratic initiative, it's finding that balance of celebrating our heroes wherever we get them. And, you know, in the Senate, as you guys probably know, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, who is one of President Trump's biggest supporters, and Bernie Sanders of Vermont, who's not one of President Trump's biggest supporters, are the two biggest friends of employee ownership in the Senate. So it's crossing those boundaries. But I know in uh, uh, Colorado, there's a little bit of a tightrope of not making it too democratic to make it unappealing for the other party. You know, I really hadn't thought in those terms uh, to try to get both parties um, much more involved. I mean, a few years ago, we started... uh, uh, Bill and I actually started doing some uh, work with the uh, local districts of, you know, the Democratic, we were both Democratic, too, and we were going to the Democratic meetings, like in District 6 and District 7, District, you know, the districts of Denver. Um, and uh, that might be one of the ways is to kind of move that over into the Republican side where they're having their Republican gatherings and just go talking about the benefits. Because that's a piece that really needs um, so much peace in all fronts that is kind of astounding a little bit. 
because we need to get people understanding what employee ownership is. It is in the free enterprise system. It is not socialism, and it's not communism. It's just another form of ownership. It's when it's right down to that all it is, uh, and it doesn't stop the other one and do anything you want, but it's just the other one more form of ownership. And we really probably need to keep reaching out to that. whole idea in America of the uh, co-ops and ESOPs primarily working together is really not happening much to, as far as we can tell. Uh, we feel bad over that. We don't quite know how to do that. Bill does some calling, but the companies here in Colorado don't ever, I mean, quite a number of them, but nobody's working very hard. Bill may be the best one. It's trying to get them all to know we exist. We'd like them to do better. How can we work together for employee ownership? Companies to somehow work together, and uh, and that's just a whole part of the movement that needs to be worked on. And, I mean, and our staff, what do we have, just two staff people, Bill, in RMEOC? We have just two. I mean, yeah. So we have two. I mean, and when we named it, we named it so it could move beyond the state line. That's why it's right. Rocky Mountain and not Colorado. Let's uh, turn back to the RMEOC. Uh, Bill, I know that you're involved with board development there. You're the treasurer. Can you tell us a little bit, and then, Dick, we'll, we'll get your thoughts, but where RMEOC is now and where you think it's going? Well, I think, you know, we're getting a significant help from uh, the Office of Economic Development and International Trade, the state organization. Uh, we trained... Uh, there's 14 offices around the state of this of the Office of Economic Development. Our leadership has trained people in all of those offices about employee ownership so that they have that in their, uh, I guess you'd say, portfolio when they work with businesses in the local communities, areas like Durango and Grand Junction, et cetera. Uh, so the, the word is spreading and uh, we're actually financially better off now than we've ever been uh, because of, uh, of not only uh, we've been funded primarily by uh, foundations, primarily the Denver Foundation and the Piton Foundation, but now the state is uh, helping us. We're, we're able to do more. I just believe that the times in which we live, which are times of crisis, that uh, that we're actually going to grow. But interestingly enough, we're better off now during this crisis than we've ever been in terms of uh, our ability to do the work. Focus right now is uh, primarily worker co-ops, but we do have ESOP, an ESOP attorney that we're that is doing work for us pro bono, and uh, I'm now involved in calling. There's about 140 ESOP companies in Colorado. Uh, I'm now in the process of contacting those companies just to create relationship, to build relationship with them. We believe that if we can build this relationship, we can create an ESOP network. I believe we can. Uh, they do have that sort of network in Ohio. I think we can do it here. So I'm optimistic about our future, uh, and I think we're going to grow in influence and in uh, the ability to, 
to keep this to to move this forward in our state. I think that's wonderful and and filled with so many great ideas. Dick, uh, what's your perspective about where things are and where you want to go? Anything you'd like to add? I you know I certainly commend Bill as doing the calling, and I'm not, uh, <laughs> but he's right on the right track. We need to begin to get these different. Um, ESOP companies normally are what we're talking about, the bigger companies, to um, begin to work together and see that they're a part of a group that they can band together and be really supportive of each other, meaning of no other thing, uh, as they have business dealings, deal with each other as they can and as they need to. Um, so um, I think, uh, Bill, I think we are moving forward here with the state support and the governor's support. Uh, I just heard one of the She's on our board, but she's also kind of on the uh, board of, from the state, and that is the governor wants 20 new conversions this year. And I think this year he starts June 1st, July 1st. And so in a way that becomes our goal to try to get uh, help them get or all of us get 20 new conversions uh, this this year. That's a great goal. I think it's a great goal, too, and it's what the governor wants. And I think he's going to be a little disappointed if we don't come pretty close to having that many or more in process. I mean, there is a process of conversion. Um, so that kind of, I think, sets a real goal for us, which uh, I, I think we have a board meeting coming up next week to really say that's really our goal now. The governor's goal and our goal are one and the same. It's 20 new ones in this uh, year, uh, 20 new conversions. So... I think that's helped us really. I like his idea of a goal. I like that 20. And I think several of us on the board are retired and have more time to really do what Bill is doing or some other things um, to help that. So I think many of us are so committed. Some of us can't even get away from the commitment. That's part of what I have. A few times I've spent a few years saying, I think I'll just forget about it for a while. Then it just kind of comes back to me. You are needed, and I'm grateful that, that, that you keep coming back when asked or keep feeling uh, the call. One of the great things about the goal, and 20 is, is a good number, although it could have been 15, it could have been 25. I think you said it, Dick. I just love the fact that there's a goal and something that can, can be worked on. With that, gentlemen... Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I am spending my life talking about employee ownership and celebrating uh, folks like yourself and the RMEOC. And I want to say with, with, with tremendous respect and, and with a little bit of humility, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing if you guys hadn't done what you've done and are doing. So happy Employee Ownership Month. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And God bless you both, and keep doing what you're doing. And, Bill, thank you. Thank you very we much really for this opportunity. With that, we will bring this podcast episode to a close. Happy Employee Ownership Month to you. Thank you so much for listening. Join us Friday as we give some shout-outs and celebrate employee ownership. And please join us next week for the entire conversation with Jennifer Briggs. I think you're going to find it as interesting as I do. Folks, we are, as we're releasing this on October 20th, 2020, we are approaching 220,000 lost souls from COVID. We are all in this together. That's how we're going to get through it, together. 
This is Brett Kiesling. Have a good day. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at EO Podcast Network and on Twitter at ESOP Podcast. This podcast has been produced by Brett Kiesling for the EO Podcast Network. Original music composed by Max Kiesling. Branding and marketing by Bitsy Plus Design. And I'm Bitsy McCann.